dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I'm sitting down with Ted Ross of Hayseed and Houston Winery in downtown Paso Robles. Located on Railroad Street, Ted's tasting room is located in a garage. The vibe is fun and the wines are exceptional. Plus, he donates a portion of the proceeds of each of his wines to different charities. This is the second time Ted has been on my guest. If you missed the first episode, it will be linked in the show notes. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know you can do it right now? Literally, right now, while you're listening. New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcast they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. So don't forget to add your email address to website to keep up with all things exploring the wine glass. Lancha. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracita Wines. We are downtown Paso Robles today in a tasting garage, the only place you can go and taste exceptional wine in a garage. And we are here with Ted Ross of Hayseed and Houston. So welcome. Hey, Lauren. How are you? <laughs> I am good. I am good. So we are located on Railroad Street. Yes, we are 1122 Railroad Street. So. And there is a train track right behind you. So it is a very good name. So if anybody is in downtown Paso, just look for the train track, follow it, and you That's will right. find the garage. Yeah, you can get here by car, you can walk, or you can take Amtrak. So yeah. <laughs> just jump out the window when, when you sure. see the garage. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So first question is always that origin story. So tell us, how did you get into the wine industry? Um, just almost by chance. Uh, my partner and I moved here about 10 years ago to retire and um, we love wine. We love that there are a number of wonderful restaurants in a small community. We're only 30,000 people with you know more than a handful of really nice restaurants. So that was pretty high on our list. And of course, a lot of wonderful wineries to go wine tasting at or to enjoy um, and after being here for not long I kind of got pulled in this town has a way of doing that to people depending on your professional background um, I, I was introduced to an individual uh, Enrique Torres that he and his wife Nora Torres were going to start a wine label he'd been a winemaker in the community for many years at that point but they wanted to do something for themselves and for their family and didn't have too much experience in sales and marketing fantastic winemaker and um, so I started helping them just kind of get their business going and doing their marketing and that sort of thing. And ultimately worked with them for about three years uh, from 2013 to 2016. And in 2016, they gave me the opportunity to start making wine for my own label, which was not something I considered doing. It certainly wasn't a motive uh, behind me helping them. I was really just trying to help out a young couple with young kids. Um, my kids are grown and gone, so it was an opportunity. Um, anyway, so we did that in 2016. I started making my wines with Enrique in 2016, and we opened in 2019 when the first wines were available. And what was that first wine? Um, we had four. So oh. Warrior, which is a blend of Cabernet and Petite Syrah. Those were the very first wines that Enrique and I made, 2016 vintage. In 2017, I made a Pinot Noir. So both those wines were ready when I opened in 2017. By then, we uh, complemented those two wines with a nice Chardonnay, stainless steel ferment called Excuse My Dust and then also Rosé of Grenache. All right. And so now the name Hayseed and Houston, how does that come about? Because that's not, you know, anywhere else. It's certainly not French. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't want the brand to be, let's say, bougie. I wanted it to be approachable. Hayseed is a euphemism for somebody who's from the country, um, used often in the Midwest, uh, an older term that not a lot of people know, but Hayseed's like saying, 
country bumpkin. So I didn't want to call it country bumpkin wine. Somebody already had that. So oh. not really. <laughs> but, um, but I wanted the brand to be approachable. Um, kind of from day one, we made a commitment to focus a lot of our effort, not just on making quality wines and uh, providing a hospitable environment for people coming into town to taste those wines, but also raising awareness and some funding for local nonprofits. So um, part of the idea was that we would have a very approachable brand for first-time visitors to pass, or maybe people that were not necessarily interested as much in spending $100 on a bottle as maybe $40 on a bottle. Um, and also to not discourage locals from coming in, because locals have a lot of options here. Almost everybody knows somebody in the wine industry. My joke is if you're not married to a winemaker, you're probably sleeping with one. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a small town. But um, uh, and so by you know branding it as I did, Hayseed, you know, kind of appeals to a lot of the locals, and that ensures that we get a lot of awareness uh, amongst the community of the different nonprofits that we support that are uh, doing a lot of things to help those in the community that just need a little extra help. So what's the house did? Houston was my grandmother's last name, so it's a oh. little homage to my grandmother. Um, I didn't want to name it after me, Ted Wine. <laughs> There's Ted Talk. Yeah, way too pretentious. Yeah, I know. I should have, I should have trademarked <laughs> that when I had the opportunity. Missed out. But um, yeah, so Houston was just, uh, Ivy Houston was grandmother of mine that was very close to her growing up, so I just thought the H&H &H is a nice literal alliteration there. kind of worked, so. Oh, very nice. And now when you first uh, opened were you, did you secure this garage right away? Yes, absolutely. I uh, started looking for a space downtown Paso. Uh, there are now, I think, something like 27 teachers downtown. There were probably a, a bit fewer than that four years ago when I opened, nearly four years ago. But um, uh, I had just happened to be driving down Railroad Street, a street that I hadn't spent a lot of time on before. At that point, there weren't a lot of retail businesses on Railroad Street. That's changing. The city's got kind of a redevelopment plan, and they're really kind of trying to focus on Railroad Street. Uh, I'm going to be joined by a few other tasting rooms here pretty soon. There are two new ones on Railroad Street since I opened, Stilson and Nate Sellers. So um, I was just driving by. I saw a four-lease sign on a, at the time, very unattractive garage. Um, and uh, so I called the agent and I took a look at the space and I thought I had potential. And so I put a little bit of effort into it and we opened up in August of 2019. Well. I think you put in more than a little bit of effort because this place, I love this place and it's, it's a hip place to be, but at the same time, like it is what you said. It's like, it, it's hip, but it's local and it's, it's casual and all the way it's set up, everybody is able to talk to each other. Every time I come in here, it's not just a tasting or whatever people are having conversations with each other definitely yes. um yeah it's interesting having a tasting room it's kind of like tasting a wine bar at night tasting by day wine bar wine bar by night it's it's just interesting people come in they taste wine they like the wines they buy wines up until about six o'clock i stay open late on thursday friday and saturday because at that point um it becomes more of a festive environment and uh, we, have, we have a lot of fun yes so. absolutely and now you did mention a bit about that your first thing you were thinking about is that you wanted to give back to the community mm -hmm. and each of your wines are dedicated to a different charity. Correct. Correct. Yeah, we have eight wines in the program. So we have eight nonprofit partners uh, that we raise uh, not just the money for, but awareness of for the things that they do in the community. Um, uh, I could go down the list, but uh, just generally uh, those organizations are looking after and providing a limited amount of support to people that are not housed in the community that need uh, meals. Um, our animal shelter, which uh, is probably near and dear to many people's heart in the community, uh, which is called Woods Humane Society. Um, kids in foster care are those that volunteer to be advocates for kids in foster care. Veterans, um, a couple that specifically focus on drug awareness, drug prevention, and that sort of thing within the school system. Um, so yeah, a lot of good organizations are local women's shelter. So yeah, great organizations. And does each vintage change who you're working with? No, or we've been consistent in identifying the nonprofits that look after segments of the community that we care about, um, establishing a relationship with those nonprofits with each new wine that we bring to market. Uh, when we opened, we started with four wines, so we have four nonprofit partners. We've augmented that. We're up to eight wines now. It's probably about where we'll stay. I don't see adding many new wines to the program, but 
Um, and so we've got the same, basically the same partners we started with. Um, we've just added a few partners since we've added wines in the four years that we've been open. And who was your first? Very first was Operation Surf, a great organization based on Avila Beach. They take veterans out surfing as a form of therapy. Um, they call it ocean therapy. It's pretty marvelous what they do. They've touched lots of lives. A lot of people have gone over to do our dirty work for us in Afghanistan and Iraq who didn't come back exactly the same way that they left have benefited from the opportunity to go out and have a good, healthy surfing experience with uh, comrades and and you know enjoy some of that, uh, you know, get that drone going and all of that. So very, very interesting and very awesome organization based in Apple Beach called Operation Surf. Um, and that's our wine that we call Warrior, which is appropriately named, but also it's the right way to, I think, identify, um, you know, with the organization that supports some of our quote-unquote wounded warriors. Perfect. And so what is your favorite thing about the wine industry? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think the degree of collaboration that exists within, uh, of course, the community, but also across uh, different uh, winery entities, uh, winemakers, wine we're all helping one another. The Downtown Association uh, that we're part of, which is called Downtown Wine District, amazingly collaborative. Uh, there are 26 other tasting rooms that I quote-unquote compete with, but I don't really ever feel that there's a sense of competition in between us. Uh, a lot of support for each other. You don't have to pick just one winery to go to or one wine to buy. We're all delivering a slightly different experience and, of course, different wines. So um, we're there to help each other. Um, that is especially true during harvest takes more than one set of hands and certainly more than one brain to make wine. If it wasn't for uh, my opportunity to benefit from the knowledge of two more senior winemakers, I would not be able to do this. So we're all helping each other and I'm probably getting the most help from them because of the years of experience that they have and I'm still relatively new at this. So it's an amazingly collaborative community um, and that was a bit of a surprise for me. Right, me too. I mean, from the East Coast, we, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. When we first came out here, and there's like handshake contracts, yeah. I was like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, and and just getting the the slowdown, yeah. you know, it's not always it, it, it's go 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 in a different way, yeah. you know. Um, but I have to agree one hundred percent. There's so many people who I talk to that say, I can't believe how everybody recommends each other right. and how everybody helps each other here. Like our visitors to Paso and especially the downtown area, they're always like, "There's we've never been to a place that didn't have something good to say about other wineries, you know? And it's, I think that's something that we stand out very, very well for. Yeah, I don't get the sense that it's quite as collaborative in other winemaking communities uh, across the country that I visit. But, you know, of course, I'm not as intimate with those businesses and those communities as I am uh, with Paso. But um, I, I love what we're about. And, you know, again, the degree of collaboration is pretty it's pretty mind-blowing to me. Right. So I probably 30% of my businesses referrals from other wineries as opposed to, you know, what I can generate through my own marketing and outreach. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it, I'm a beneficiary of all that. <laughs> but you do give it back, of too. Of course, So yeah, it, yeah. it is, an, it's not, you're not only benefiting. Yeah, you it's the only place, it it's true. It's the only place I've ever been, um, or retail environment that I've ever been to, where we had each other's business cards or our two-for-one coupons or what have you. Um, we're inviting people to go you know, check the wines at our competing tasting rooms. Because, again, we just don't feel a sense of competition between us. It's, yeah. you know, we're all there for one another. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And now a word from our sponsor. The 27 individual tasting rooms that make up the downtown wine district are situated in the heart of Paso Robles city center, where you are only steps away from all Paso Robles has to offer in the way of dining, shopping, and entertainment. Visit downtown Paso Robles to find yourself among the greatest concentration of wineries in the area. In downtown, consumers can experience Paso Robles' rich and diverse wine country lifestyle, sample quality wines from each of the region's 11 distinct sub-appellations, and have the opportunity to meet vintners that are as passionate about downtown as they are about their wine. Yeah, if your wine brings people to the area, then you're bringing people to the right. area, and that benefits everybody else. And I agree. I don't think there's too many other 
wine regions that kind of feel that same that same way. Yeah. All right. So you know, whenever you get asked that question, the next question is, and what is your least favorite part of the wine industry? Wow, I've never really thought about that. Um, uh, like a lot of industries, I mean, this is not unique to wine. Um, you know, there's we put a lot of hours in. Uh, harvest in particular, um, and you know, managing business uh, with employees and and you know inventory to worry about, um, and it's uh, largely dependent on farming things that are somewhat out of our control. Um, you know, we end up putting a lot of hours and a lot of energy into producing the product, um, particularly between early September and mid November. So that's kind of the harvest period. My joke is you go to bed at 5.30 in the morning so that you can wake up at 5.30 in the morning <laughs> and go back to work. And so that lasts for, you know, a good eight to ten weeks through harvest, and it's just a lot of hours. Um, if you run a retail establishment, as we do, and also have the responsibility for winemaking, you're spending your wee hours in the morning in the vineyard, then mid, early morning to mid midday in the winery, and then probably back at work in the afternoon and evening at your own retail shop, So, which is kind of, kind of how we roll during harvest. So... Yeah, it's a very busy time. Um, it's completely different than what I did professionally, so I enjoy every moment of it. Um, but it sometimes feels like it's a lot for somebody who pretends to be retired, which is kind of how I describe myself <laughs> these days. So, um, yeah, I'm pre-tired, pretending to be retired. Yeah, there it is. I, I, I say that all the time. And so this is our retirement. Wow, yeah. we were stupid. Yeah, working, working harder than you ever have. Absolutely. Yeah, but probably loving every minute of it. I mean, I yes. know I do, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it is a long day. It is a long, you know, but it. I like being in with people and talking to the people and going back to your tasting space. Every time I come in here, it's just fun. It's just a good place to be. And the people are always talking to each other. They're not just their little group, you know? Yeah, it's... Um... I don't know if we inspire that or if it's just a natural occurrence, but um, yeah, invariably we, you know, we have people coming in from really, really now all over the world. It's amazing. Uh, I always ask people where they're visiting from if, if they don't identify as locals or if they're not people that I already know are part of a wine club or, or what have you. But it's amazing how quickly they begin to talk to one another and they're all fascinated by each other's stories. Um, wine has a way of, you know, I think bringing that out in people. Um, and, you know, I guess perhaps it's not unlike going to a bar, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a good experience. But I, but I also think it's the tone that we establish for people when we walk in, we kind of give them a big shout out. And, right. you know, we're not, this is not a quiet, uh, you know, sort of place. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's we're in a garage, so we make right. the most of it. And, you know, and we're, uh, you know, we encourage people to bring their animals. We're very animal friendly, which is to say we're very dog friendly. If not, well, actually, that's not true. One time somebody brought their cat into the Oh, store, so, okay. So, yes, we are dog and cat friendly, but let's fix it. Not too many cats out on a leash walking around the neighborhood. Yeah. But anyway. Although so, I have seen yeah. people walk their cat like that. Yeah. And I've seen people walk a rabbit. Oh, interesting. Like that's that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I should change our, probably put that on our website that we're rabbit friendly also. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Who knows? You might come in with, the, right. you have a rabbit day. Yeah. Sure. It might be, <laughs> it might be that way. <laughs> so you have uh, the Fresno pillow in here. We have a little connection to Fresno. That's true. So w tell us about that. Well, another reference back to the Hayseed, uh, you know, description in our name. Uh, I, I come from the Fresno area, Central Valley, which I described to people as the Midwest of California. If they're not familiar with it, so um, I am a bit of a hasty myself by virtue of where I was raised. Uh, spent most of my, or really all of my adult life in major metros, kind of in pursuit of my career. But I've always kept a small connection to Fresno. I went to school in Fresno at Fresno State. Um, anyway, so I have a Fresno pillow here, which was frankly a gag gift from a friend of my partner. Um, she grew up on the East Coast uh, when her friends, who were mostly also East Coasters, found out that she was dating and ultimately moving all the way across the country to California to be with a guy um, from Fresno. They kind of laughed. So one of her friends was walking through Manhattan and happened by a Jonathan Adler boutique. I guess he's some shishi designer that I've never heard of, but anyway, um, <laughs> and saw this Fresno pillow among other things um, and a, a line of kind of Americana stuff that was 
something they were doing that pillow cost a ridiculous amount. I was going to say that probably was a very expensive it, pillow if it was in <laughs> New a, York. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so they uh, so they bought the pillow for Wynn to send to me or to send to her to, to just as kind of a gag gift. If anything, we had it in our house for a couple of years and it really was kind of out of place. Uh, but it fits in perfectly here with the tasting room. And quite a few of our customers, I'd say about 20% of our customers, yeah. uh, come to us from the Central Valley. We're only about two hours away from Fresno, uh, which is a half a million people. It's a fairly large metro. And so a lot of people can identify with that pillow. But I, I make a joke and just tell them that uh, it was purchased at a boutique in Manhattan that probably cost close to $200. <laughs> and if you pick that up at the Bulldog Shop at Fresno State University, you know, it's gift shop, $2. It's $6. <laughs> Made by the same company in China that, you know, did it for Jonathan Adler. So, yeah, but if people see that, and of course, it inspires conversation. Really, every image and everything that we have in the taste room is designed to inspire conversation. So, um, pictures on the wall, what the pictures, the subject of the pictures is, um, you know, is, is all very important to us. And there's a story behind everything, which gets people talking. And that's really what we'd like to see happen in our taste room. We do talk about the wine, of course quite a bit, but that's maybe 40% of the dialogue. Right. The rest is about Paso and about each other's respective backgrounds and experiences and things. So it's a very chatty place. Right. And then we have the God bless Johnny Cash. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a poster that people uh, kind of identify with. They walk in, it's an old Ford truck. I think I actually saw that image on um, online, I clicked through. Uh, I just was kind of trolling, looking for Johnny Cash. It was an artist, of course, that I, I love and we play a lot of here in the tasting room. But I saw that image, so I clicked through it. It took me to an Etsy website where a young person in Texas was raising money by selling her images um, on Etsy uh, to cover the cost of her tuition. And um, I liked it, so I downloaded it. I paid $40 or something for full rights, which is again how she makes money to fund her college tuition. And then I sent it out to bigcanvas.com or something and put it on this big life-size poster anyway. So um, a lot of people comment on the poster and on the bumper sticker that's on the truck um, uh, in the image that she took and it says, God bless John Cash. Um, it took me three years to realize I could produce bumper stickers and then merchandise that a little bit. I was in marketing my whole career, how I didn't <laughs> stumble on the idea when I had so many people walking in saying, I love that poster. I love that bumper sticker. Right. Took me three years to realize I could actually make them and sell them. But, <laughs> yeah. So that's my only merchandise. We're we're a little light on merchandise here. We are pretty much all about the wine, but um, but yeah, we also sell bumper stickers that say "God bless Johnny Cash." Where else can you go that's got wine and bumper stickers? I don't know. Right? I don't know. Yeah. And and it makes sense in a garage. It's true. It's like, actually consistent with our brand and what we're trying to be. So yeah. Right. Okay. It, it, I, I think it's hysterical. And I've been in here loads of times where people are like, can I get that bumper sticker? Can right. I get that bumper sticker? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, we just celebrated. You talked about it a little bit. We just celebrated Wine for Paws. Mm -hmm. um, and you threw a killer party as a kickoff to it. So, I mean, although you are dedicated to so many charities, Wine for Paws, like that kickoff party, what's so special to you about Wine for Paws and... A um, couple of things. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, one of the first nonprofits we, that we began to support uh, when we launched in 2019, we have four wines and one of them raises money for Wine for Paws, which is a fundraiser for Woods Humane Society. Wine for Paws operates as a two-week or as a one-weekend event um, each year. It's been going now for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And started by an individual in town named Sarah Tomasetti, who's kind of a force of nature. She's a personal friend of ours. Um, and so, of course, they were going to be one for Paws, her nonprofit 501c3 for which Humane Society was going to be one of our initial uh, nonprofit partners. Uh, but because all of the effort in raising money and awareness for which Humane Society through Wine for, per, Wine for Paws occurs on a single weekend each year, and just a lot of you know energy has to go into doing something that we can raise as much money as possible. Um, every time we sell a bottle of our Pray for Love Pinot Noir, it raises money for Wine for Paws. But that weekend, we try to knock knock it out of the park, so to speak, or out of the garage. As it were. <laughs> so we uh, the last three years have held the kind of official kickoff party for the fundraising weekend Wine for Paws here at Hayseed. And this year, uh, I think we had about 130 people. 
Uh, we poured about 160 bottles of wine, so do the math. People had a good time. Uh, we had live music and food, of course, and other things. Um, but we're able to raise about $9,000 um, that evening uh, just through the kickoff party. So it was, uh, it was a fun time. I think Sarah this year has raised close to $80,000 Wow! Um, with the 100 or so wineries that participated. But we were proud to say that we raised a little over 10% of the total. So. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, we had always wanted to participate mm -hmm. in it, but yeah. never had the tasting room. Right. And then when COVID hit, I sent her an email. I'm like, well, since nobody is doing this, yeah. can I do this now? You know? Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, so we participated mm -hmm. two years um, virtually. Yeah, awesome. And then this was our first year that we had um, the tasting room. Yeah. And every time somebody put money in the little tip jar thing, mm -hmm. I just was so giddy. I yeah. was so, you know, because as you know, animals are near Absolutely. and dear, near and dear to me. So <laughs> they are, that is one of our big charities also. So uh, yeah, but that party was pretty damn fun. It was like a lot of people, the band, who, who was the band? Mark Adams and his mystery band. Oh. So Mark Adams is actually a winemaker and I think a owner at Ledge Vineyards. Um, and so talented winemaker in his own right, but also is a fantastic musician. And we've been watching Mark and his band perform since we first started coming to Paso 15 years. So obviously he's got a lot of passion for not just winemaking, but music. Um, and it's right up our, kind of right up our lane as far as the style of music. You know, a lot of Lefty Frizzell and Hank Williams and, um, you know, it's a lot of covers of some kind of classic country bands. Plus, Mark's got a long list of uh, original music that they perform as well that, you know, is kind of in that same vein and spirit. And so, just fantastic performer. And now, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers. The Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the Final Four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stopped the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. Did you get to enjoy the party at all? Uh, I, I enjoy every party, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it behind the bar. So behind yes, the so it was, yeah. Luckily, I got a lot of support from uh, you know my partner Wynn, Holly, who works Thursdays, Fridays, and every time I go out of town. Um, so she really kind of keeps this place going. She's my tasting room manager or tasting garage manager, manager in this case. Um, so and then a couple of volunteers, Brittany, that came in, and uh, we got some free help um, from their partners as well. So yeah. And it takes a lot of people to pull off an event like that. So I did my fair share, probably one-sixth of the work, and they did all the rest. So. so now we are part of, or you're part of the Downtown Association. Mm -hmm. So can, what do you, why did you choose Downtown? Uh, I don't think I would be anywhere else. Um, you know, I, I mean, I very much want to be part of PASO. Um, there's a huge connection, obviously, between what we're doing and the different, and you know, nonprofits that operate in town. So we, we want to be very Paso Robles specific because that's a, a natural and obvious tie-in to the fact that we've got a lot of Paso Robles-based nonprofits operating in the community to look after, again, folks that just need a little extra help and animals. Um, and being in a more remote location would just seem to be a greater disconnect with that. Um, so it was, you know, kind of consistent with our overall uh, intent in developing a brand that was focused, of course, not just on wine, but on giving, um, that, that we were right in town and right available 
um, you know, for people that are coming to pass and trying to not just discover our wines, but also our community and what we have to offer. So, um, you know, this is a place where you can come and you can find out if you have a social conscious, just kind of how high on a scale of one to 10 Paso social conscious is. And when you hear about the different organizations that are in the community doing the things that they do, which are really spectacular, um, you know, it really helps you form an impression about the type of community that we are. And it's a really amazing community. It's a very open, you know, very diverse and very fun. So if you're not in the tasting room or making wine or work wise, what do you do in downtown? Do you hang um, out down here? Yeah, quite a bit. We love the restaurants. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a food and wine town. Um, and obviously, given the size of our community, roughly 30,000 people, you know, we kind of over-index on not just uh, wineries, but also on quality restaurants. And we are kind of foodies, so we do spend a lot of time. Um, there are about 10 in our heavy rotation, 10 okay. restaurants, and, and then all the others that are not in our heavy rotation. But... So, um, so we're in town quite a bit. And of course, there are other things to do, you know, in and around Paso. Um, we have a wonderful light exhibit uh, called Sensorio, which is just on the edge of town. Um, it's really spectacular. Um, you know, you could spend the whole evening there. Um, and it's, I can't even describe it, but a lot of people try. And there's been a lot of articles and things written about Sensorio and the magnificence of the display that an artist named Bruce Monroe uh, created and it's something he's done all over the world. Um, no two are alike. This one is, of course, unique to Paso, but it's called Field of Lights. And I think it's 20 acres of fiber optic cables that have been strewn about and uh, they change colors, and it's, it's just really marvelous. Um, we have a couple of good museums in town. Um, so, yeah, lots, lots, of little, lots of things to do given the size of our community. Um, it's very family friendly. Um, we are, you know, family friendly as we are also. You know, dog and cat running in the tasting <laughs> And room. rabbits. Yeah, and rabbits <laughs> in the tasting garage. Um, so, yeah, we spend, we spend quite a bit of time in town. And what, if somebody was coming to Paso and they wanted to come to downtown, like, what's your suggestion? You know, do you have tips or something for them about downtown? Well, I would commit a full day to having downtown wine experience, maybe two, with 27 wine tasting rooms. There's no greater concentration of quality wines uh, anywhere than downtown. Um, and obviously the person can probably have a little bit more fun and be a little bit more relaxed about the number of wineries that they try over the course of the day because they're not in a position where they have to drive. They can walk everywhere. Many, many of the lodging and accommodations um, are right close to the downtown area. We've got quite a few fine hotels uh, here right in the community. Um, so you can spend one, maybe two full days. Um, you're probably not going to make it to all 27 of our downtown taste rooms in two days. But you're going to get a really good sampling of the quality of wines that we have here. Um, and the different wineries that are represented in the downtown area um, are extensions or maybe whatever the first word is for extensions, concentrations of the grapes that are grown throughout the entire ABA and even beyond the ABA. Two of my eight wines, uh, my source of food outside of Paso because there are grape varietals that don't necessarily love the 110 degree temperatures that we can get in the summer. And so for my Pinot Noir, I go to Santa Barbara County. For my uh, Chardonnay, I have a relationship with a vineyard in the San Jose Islands. Um, and that's kind of true for most of us in the downtown area. We're pulling fruit, making our wines um, from grapes that are grown throughout the 11 different districts in the Paso Robles ABA and beyond that, uh, coastal varietals and so on. So uh, you can get an incredible uh, number of different wines uh, by varietal or, or blends and things uh, with a really high degree of creativity and experimentation uh, by visiting the downtown tasting room. And I don't think there's probably a greater concentration of that uh, anywhere that I've been. I mean, Napa is, you know, obviously a wonderful ABA, but fairly broad and strewn out. You know, I, there isn't, from my experience, as much of a concentration of tasting rooms in Napa proper as there is here in Paso. And there's certainly nowhere else in our IBA where you can go to so many wonderful wineries within a few feet of each other. Right. It's really amazing. Yeah. And the, the nice thing, I, the other thing I like about Paso, about downtown, is 
Like you said, there's 27-ish tasting rooms here. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, if somebody made it through 27 tasting rooms in two days, that's a trooper. (laughs) That is a trooper. And they try. (laughs) Well, one thing we do, we have quite a few events, uh, wine walks that we call them. It's kind of a euphemism. They each have a theme with a different name. We do them maybe three, four times a year as an association, the downtown wine district. And uh, the formats for those are everybody's doing a small pour of a particular wine, usually paired with a food item. And um, if you participate in one of our wine walks, you can get to quite a few of the wineries because you're not in a position where you're having to spend 45 minutes or an hour tasting through five or six different wines in each place. You're going in for one specific wine, you know, getting a sense for the vibe of the place, learning a little bit about what the brand is about, what the winery's focus is, having at least one taste and a little bite, then you can move on to the next place. And I definitely know people that make it, uh, make it, they challenge themselves to try to get to all 20 or 25 or 27 right. of the wineries that are participating in those things. So over the course of an afternoon, which right. it's impressive. It is impressive. Yes. It is impressive. But you are right. It's one, one small it's pour. one small pour and yeah. one little bite of food or whatever. Yeah. And then they're off. Yeah. Um, and we usually yeah. get between 100 and 150 people yeah. on an afternoon like that that are participating in the wine walk and sell over. I think as an association, we're, you know, we sell close to 250 tickets usually to these right. things. So, um, but, but there are so many taste rooms, do the math, it's, you know, there's never more than about five or 10 people in the taste room at any given time over the course of the afternoon. So it's not crowded. It's, I mean, there's plenty of space and plenty of places to go. So it's pretty evenly distributed and it's just a very nice format and a very good way for somebody who's not yet familiar with uh, some of the tasting rooms. and. The downtown area to get that familiarization. Right, and I think the next one is mid-July. It is. Right? I think it's scheduled for Fif- July fifteenth. Yeah. Right, July fifteenth, and mm-hmm. later in the afternoon. Yeah. Because July and Paso yeah. equals heat. Yeah. <laughs> most, most likely going to be over hundred degrees. Yeah. Right. So it's a little bit later. Um, so, what is your favorite wine to make? That's a good question. I don't know if I have a favorite wine to make. Um, my partner, Wynn, loves Pinot Noir. I am committed to making Pinot Noir every year for that reason. Um, it's a bit uh, hard to find Pinot Noir at tasting rooms uh, in the Paso VA because it's not really a grape that's, grape that's grown here. Um, it's, uh, as I mentioned before, it's a little too hot here. Um, so I'm always on a quest to get the best quality fruit I can. Uh, out of the area, I now have a great relationship with a vineyard called River Bench in Santa Barbara. It's in the Santa Maria Valley on Fox and Fox and Canyon Road. So uh, they're not at all known for good Pinot in yeah, that area. <laughs> so it's Pinot heaven if you like Pinot, especially if you like a California style Pinot Noir. Um, so our Pray for Love Pinot Noir, which is the one that raises money for Wine for Paws and Woods Humane Society, um, is a wine that I'll make every year. And uh, if I don't. Well, we'll probably have to find a winemaker that does. <laughs> I'm never going to take that chance. But um, anyway, and I did, uh, present a whole cluster of fermentation on that, so 25% stem inclusion, uh, which gives the wine just a little bit more structure and kind of a nice backbone, kind of those solid, uh, you know, Pinot Noir phenolics and all that that really come through. Um, I use 50% new French oak, so I try to maintain some consistency and the approach to making the wine, um, and when we see obviously a variance from vintage to vintage, then it's you know explained usually by climate as opposed to changes in the winemaking technique. So um, anyway, but that, that probably is the funnest to make um, because it's just ultimately not something that everybody in Paso has, um, and people there are a lot of Pinot heads out there, yeah. including my partner. So um, and so it does help draw people to our tasting garage. Um, because if they come to Paso looking for Pinot, it's a little hard to find. Right, absolutely. Um, but Pinot can be finicky. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. for sure that. So, yeah. did you for with the cluster, the whole cluster and everything? Did you play around with that at the beginning before you? Came? I had some experience working with Enrique. Okay. Um, he and I started making some wines together before we started making my my wines for my brand. Um, one of which was a Pinot Noir. So, um, and really everything I know, which is still not a lot, um, I know from the two winemakers I work with, Enrique Torres, who has Diablo Paso with his wife, Nora Torres, and Steve and Stephanie Anglum down at Anglum Wines, 
um, who are actually a couple I've known for close to 30 years now. We all work together professionally in Southern California at a time when none of us knew we were going to end up in Paso Robles or in the wine industry. Um, we were in marketing services and the automotive industry. Um, so, uh, so I give credit, of course, to both Enrique and Steve uh, for kind of mentoring me. Uh, the wine uh, business is a trade like uh, many others where you enter as an apprentice if you're lucky to be kind of supported or sponsored. Um, and in a sense, I kind of am by my two winemaking partners. Um, they're, you know, journeyman or master status. When you become a journeyman, you're probably still going to work for a master, like in a lot of trades. So I would put myself somewhere between, you know, apprentice and journeyman at this point. I would put each of those winemakers in the category of journeyman to perhaps master because they've both been now making wine for over 20 years and they're wonderful. So everything I know about wine, I know from those two people. And I'm still working with them and I hope to be working with them the rest of my uh, encore career in wine because they're always going to have 20 years more experience than me. Right. <laughs> and so what do you want people to know about or remember about Hayseed and Houston? Well, quality wines, um, you know, of course we are raising uh, awareness and sharing our profits with wonderful uh, non nonprofit organizations in the community. Um, but you have to have profits to share profits. So we still need to make quality wine. We're still buying the best, uh, absolute best fruit available in Paso. Um, sparing no expense to do that and working with, you know, two very, very senior and experienced winemakers to produce wonderful wine. And with that, then we have an opportunity to, you know, do a lot more insofar as raising funds to share. So, um, you know, I mean, people might come in here if they know about our commitment to giving, but they're far more likely to come back if the wines are good and um, also good value. We are very careful about our pricing. Our reds are priced at $46 a bottle, which now would be kind of on the low end of, mm -hmm. of handmade wines in Paso. And our, you know, our whites and rosés are $32 a bottle. We don't want to uh, offend or scare people off by pricing. Sometimes uh, that can happen. And, and so, you know, not to, not to find fault in anybody else's strategy, but some people are shooting for premium um, and they accomplish that by putting a high enough price on there to you know, convince people that the worth is actually worth that much. I, I like to say you can find a lot more value for spending a little less. Yes, there you so go. Um, anyway, so, um, you know, it's working for us. But um, anyway. All right. And so um, how can people find Casey and um, Certainly if you're in the downtown area, we're pretty close to everything. We're one half block from the city park, uh, so the central part of town on Railroad Street. So very easy to get to. Um, you know, we have an online presence. Um, our social media is at Hasey Wine. Uh, so certainly, if somebody is interested in following us and following the winery, um, we try to put as much content as we can out there. We usually wait till we have something to say, so we're not uber pro prolific. But um, so we have uh, uh, social media, and we have a website, HaseyDenHouseden.com, um, where we talk about obviously our wines. A little bit about us, as, as they say, um, and of course what we do within the community to, to try to encourage you know, giving and match that with a commitment that we've made to share our profits. So all those things you can find on our website as well as the wines that we have available uh, that we're currently selling, not just here at the Tasting Garage, but also online. So, Do you have anything in the tasting room that's not online? No. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we try to keep it as consistent as we can. So unless I'm asleep at the switch and sometimes forget, it's like, oh, I guess I should probably put that online. I'm, I've almost sold out of it. So, um, but yeah, no, we try to, yeah, we, we try to go live, uh, online as well. Sometimes, um, we may keep a wine online a little longer than we have it in the tasting room, but, uh, it's just a little easier to turn on, turn off. But, um, you know, because if we get close to running out, then, um, you know, or if we're releasing a slew of new wines and we might have two or three cases left of something else, we can keep it on the website just a little longer. Uh, we try to limit our tasting experience to five or six wines only. Uh, we like to have a mix, of course, of white rosé and red wines on our menu. So when people come in, they get a good, you know, a good uh, sampling of what we have to offer. Um, we have eight wines in the program, but we never offer all eight at once. Generally, we just don't have all eight at any time. We 
we do tend to sell out of out of our wines pretty quickly. We only do about a thousand cases a year, and um, no one label that we have or or bridal that we offer lasts more than about seven or eight months. So, um, and you know, it's not like we can just pick up the phone and order more. You know? <laughs> right. What we're selling today is largely based on decisions I made two to three years ago. Right. So, on um, which fruit to purchase and how much. So we only have so much wine, and um, anyway. Yeah, that's something that people uh, always ask, right? Well, how do you know? You know, how do you know? Well, I made this decision two years ago, and, and that's right. Here we are. Here we yeah. are, and got to live with our decisions from two years ago. Yeah, it's an interesting business. I've never been exposed to a business like this. I mean, I purchased fruit, signed contracts, bought barrels, paid processing fees. Um, in 2016, in 2017, in 2018, and was on the verge of spending money in 2019 when I opened before I sold my first bottle. Right. So it's amazing, uh, you know, the upfront effort and investment of capital that is associated with uh, even running a relatively small wine operation. Um, but obviously, you kind of know what the future is going to look like, and you're excited for that to happen. And once it does, of course, it's you know, it's 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 a blast. Do you remember your first bottle sale? Like, or not necessarily the first bottle sale, but like that emotion. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure that. <laughs> well, I of course announced to the world and all of my friends and associates in Paso that I was opening the tasting garage on August 2nd. Okay. And of course it wasn't even near complete. <laughs> so I opened for one day and had a opening party. I had nothing on the wall. So, I mean, no art, no anything. I was just so totally unprepared for it. Um, so we opened for one night had a big party closed <laughs> and then reopened when we were finished two weeks later but yeah so yeah nothing pressures you more or challenges you more than committing to a date to have 50 friends come over there you go yeah, so anyway but uh, so yeah it was exhilarating and it was fun yeah. we tore our house down the same week so oh. why not right <laughs> you know which is a completely separate topic but yeah so <laughs> all right so did i not ask something that you want to discuss uh, nothing i can think of now i'll right. think of it in 10 minutes absolutely that's what it always comes right oh no this is what i forgot to say or that's whatever right. Right. um but so if people come do you uh, want reservations? Do you accept reservations? Do you just want walk-ins? What do we do? We're a mix of both. Um, we have a couple of tables that are available to reserve. Um, we have a link on our web website to a reservation system that we use. You can go on Talk also and find us, which is becoming a fairly popular reservation system used for not just wineries, but also restaurants and so on. Uh, but that link is also on our website. So, And we also take reservations over the phone or via email, um, what have you. Um, but we do reserve a lot of space for walk-ins because we're in the downtown area. Um, you know, it's very, very easy to find. And because so much of our business is word of mouth and referral, um, a lot of people just want to come by and check us out and really want to take a quick look, you know, before necessarily uh, committing to a, you know, 45 minute to one hour tasting experience. And so most of the seats here are available for walk-in. And you know we get a we get it's about fifty fifty as far as what we what we get through over the course of a week. And at any time they can do a glass because you said you shut down at you you pretty much switch over to buy the glass in the evening. Well, but... we'll do tastings uh, until we close at nine. Oh, okay. And we're, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday we're open until nine, so we will continue to do wine tasting up until the time we close. It's just by then many people um, they've been to their three or four different wineries and have had that wine tasting experience and are maybe then here in the evening just to settle down with a glass of wine or with friends to share a bottle. So, um, you know, so, but we'll, we'll, we'll continue to do okay. tasting. And then on uh, Mondays and Sundays, we're open from noon until six. And then it's mostly, you know, mostly wine tasting. But, um, but yeah, we definitely sell by the glass and by the bottle as well. Okay. And if my thought process is correct, that means you're dark on Tuesday and Wednesday? Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, yes. So those are days. Those are the days that we're at the vineyard or at the warehouse or at the winery or <laughs> doing our taxes. Or doing there you go. <laughs> yes. Trying, so. trying to be a, a be a person in Paso versus a worker in That's Paso. Right. That's right. right. This is all self-inflicted, and I don't want to sound like a winer because I love it. Right. You know, I wouldn't do it. What else? I don't golf. So ah, uh, yes. I don't golf. Neither well. do I. Right. Neither do I. I I don't get it. 
<laughs> it's I do a lot of sports and I don't get golf. It's like when I'm on the course, I'm kind of miserable. I'm like, <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. I would much rather be like playing basketball or tennis or something. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming on and for sharing Hayseed and Houston. And I am a big fan of the wine. You know that. And so people need to get over here. And uh, you do have to, though, tell the your... Because I think it's so funny. Because if people come to me and I give them that card, what what is on your card? Oh, yeah. We got the bright idea to come up with a, a card that we could take uh, to the hotels uh, that customers could pick up and, you know, with a map on our operating hours and that sort of thing. Um, um, and, uh, you know, hotels and Airbnbs and uh, also other wineries that um, will offer that up to their customers. Anyway, the front uh, says buy one bottle for the price of two and get the second bottle absolutely free, <laughs> which a lot of people read as a two for one card. <laughs> you know, buy one, get one free. Now it's buy two. You know, get right. two. Right. Yeah, buy one bottle for the price of two, get the second bottle absolutely free. Right. So, but what I think, yeah, what I think that is, though, is shows a little bit insight into you and the yeah. humor that you have and the atmosphere that, that the tasting room has, you know. And when they read that and they get it, I think it tells them this is going to be a good time. This is going to be a fun time place to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's the goal. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I uh, wish you the best of luck. But this place is always rocking, so uh, people need to keep coming and supporting all of the charities and you. Fantastic. Thank okay. you, Lori. All right. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Butt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha.